Good evening again. A uh, couple of things before I start. Uh, firstly, excuse my voice. I had COVID about a month ago, uh, and I've just not been able to shake uh, this cough and um, my really dodgy voice. So I have to speak softly, because the louder I talk, the more I cough. So if you can hear me, that's all good at the back. Terrific. Secondly, just want to acknowledge that uh, the circumstances that you'll see in this, that you've just read in the Bible reading, um, I'm just aware that sometimes in churches there are people who have faced similar things and can find something like this difficult. If if that is you, then I want you to feel comfortable to do whatever you need to do. Um, But I do want you to know that God's word ends up in great, great comfort uh, for us. But uh, why don't we pray? as we come to this part of God's word. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the Bible, that it is your truth, and it is your truth for all time and for all people. We ask now that you would intrigue us and teach us by your Holy Spirit. We pray that you might challenge and and even change us where we need to be. Please uh, sustain my voice and uh, keep my coughing at bay, that we might not be distracted uh, from the wonder of your word. For this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I'd like to begin by talking about waiting. Waiting. And I want to ask the question, why does it appear that so often guys are waiting for the ladies? <laughs> now I'm already in trouble with half of you. I understand that. But let's look at the evidence. Okay. When you're at a wedding, who waits for who? Yeah? The groom stands at the front, waits for the bride. Think back to uh, when you were growing up. Who sits in the car revving and who is he waiting for? Evidence, right? When you go shopping, when you go shopping... Why do you think there are man chairs in the ladies' wear department? That is for sitting and waiting. I can tell you now, there are no ladies' chairs in the men's wear department. You see the evidence. And rest assured, at the end of tonight, at the end of tonight, you'll see a group of males milling around the exit. Husbands, boyfriends, sons. Do you know what they are doing? (laughs) (laughs) they are waiting, actually I can't laugh, that makes me cough, they are waiting for whom we all know. Now look, I'm just being a bit naughty and I don't really mean that, I know, I know, sometimes women have to wait for men just as much, I get that, but the fact is, we all hate waiting, yeah? We all hate waiting. Usually, waiting has little consequence beyond inconvenience. But there are times when we have to wait that can be a matter of life or death, yeah? Uh, When Jess, my firstborn, was only a few weeks old, just a tiny little baby, she started vomiting vomiting up um, just mouthfuls of fresh blood. And you can imagine just the kind of wave of desperate horror that swept over me. Uh, It was like my body was confused between panic and paralysis. 
And a doctor friend of ours said, look, just get it to emergency straight away. Don't wait for an ambulance, just get it to emergency. I still remember to this day driving uh, to the hospital. Um, Every red light wait just seemed like an eternity. I I felt like swearing. Uh, Where the traffic allowed, I just sped uh, past the speed limit without any guilt whatsoever. Every slow driver I encountered, to me, was just selfish and thoughtless, and they deserved a mouthful of abuse and road rage. I mean, didn't they know I had a sick child in the car who, for all I knew, could be dying? Irrational? Yes. Hard to understand? No. Not at all. See, when it's life or death, seconds matter. And when it's someone you love, every delay is like a cruel punch in the heart. See, every second in circumstances like that, feels like, every second feels like a minute, and every minute like an hour, and every hour like an eternity. And today, we meet a dad whose only daughter is about to die and he is made to wait. We read, uh, so keep your uh, Bibles or the uh, service sheets that you're given open because we're going to work through uh, this passage from the Bible. But we read in verse 42... uh, We read in verse 41, there's a man named Jairus. In verse 42, his only daughter, about 12 years old, was dying, uh, very close to death. And so what does he do? He goes to Jesus for help. And you can see how desperate he was, can't you? In verse 41, you see that he fell at the feet of Jesus, pleading with Jesus to come to his house. Now, that's not unusual until we realize that, you see what it says there? that he was a ruler of the synagogue. You notice that? He was a Jewish leader. Therefore, what's the big deal? Here is a man of great standing. Here is a man of great importance. People came to him for help. People fell at his feet. And as a ruler of the synagogue, he would have had any number of servants that he could just have sent along to go and get Jesus But no, he goes himself and he pleads with Jesus. See, maybe a servant wouldn't have sought Jesus with the same urgency or pleaded with Jesus with the same intensity. His daughter was dying. That's how critical the situation was. This man of great standing, kneeling at the feet of of a carpenter, begging him to save the life of his dying daughter. I bet he wished sirens were invented in those days. See, now that Jesus had agreed, speed was critical, wasn't it? But as we read in verse 24, uh, sorry, verse 42, uh, the crowds are around Jesus nearly crushing him. 
Jesus' progress, you see, was being hampered by this kind of peak hour of people. But if they had swear words in the first century, you could understand if Jairus muttered a few (laughs) under his breath. But then to make matters worse, Jesus actually completely stops and starts talking to the crowd. I mean, what on earth is he doing? Seconds matter. What's he doing? Look at verse 45. Verse 45, who touched me? Jesus asked, when they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds are hemming you in and pressing against you. Someone did touch me, said Jesus. I know that power has gone out from me. Now, that's all Jairus needed at this point, wasn't it? Jesus wanting to stop and have a chat while his daughter was about to die. I'm sure every second he waited felt like a minute, and every minute like an hour. Well, out from the crowd steps a woman, frightened and trembling. And she too, if you look at verse 47, comes and falls at the feet of Jesus. Well, what's this woman's story? Why does she touch Jesus' cloak? Look with me at verse 43. Verse 43. A woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years, who had spent all she had on doctors, yet could not be healed by any, approached from behind and touched the tassel of his robe. Instantly, her bleeding stopped. 12 years. 12 years she'd been bleeding continuously. That's as long as Jairus' daughter has been alive. No one knew why she was bleeding continuously for all that time and no one could stop it. In Mark's account of this, he tells us that she'd spent all her money on doctors. All her money. And no one could help her. Now, look, there's no possible way for me to even imagine how awful uh, and, and, and painful and how much suffering comes from continuous bleeding for 12 years. It must have been awful. But I do know that her suffering would have been more than just physical. That would have been enough. But it would have been more than physical. See, according to the Old Testament... Old Testament law, she would have also been considered unclean for those 12 years. And that would have meant that she was isolated. And we know what that's like, don't we now? That meant she would have been isolated from her community because she was unclean. And they had to be isolated. They had to be away from people. Isolated from any human contact or relationship. 12 years 12 years, 12 years of having no one come into your house, 12 years of never being, invi- never being invited to anyone else's, 12 pe- years of people avoiding you, 12 years without a handshake or a hug, 12 years of society saying, you are not welcome here, 
You know, have you, have you ever felt left out or unwanted? You all have. We all have. Have you ever felt excluded? Ever had that feeling of, you know, when you find out about a, a party or about a bunch or, or a group of people going out and you weren't invited? She experienced this every day, 12 years. The suffering was more than physical, you see. And what was possibly worse was that for 12 years, she would have thought that God was distancing himself from her as well, that God did not want her. Can you imagine 12 years of being alone, feeling dirty, being rejected by people, and in your mind, thinking God couldn't give a toss about you. Yet now, having merely touched the edge of Jesus' cloak, she was healed. Just like that. Now I have a question for you. He's healed. All good. Why didn't Jesus just go on? Why didn't he just go on? He was, after all, in a hurry. Why does he just stop? Why does he make her own up? And why does he make her tell her story? Now let's think about this for a moment. In verse 47, in front of all those people, she tells her story. I've been bleeding continuously for 12 years. Nobody can help me. But I just touched the edge of Jesus' cloak and I was healed instantly. Now, what would have been the effect of that story as she tells it in the crowd that's pressing and crushing in on Jesus? Well, as she tells the crowd that she's been unclean for 12 years, I bet if you were standing next to her as, if I, as I would have, I'd take a step back or two, wouldn't you? <laughs> and you'd be like, did I bump into her? Did I touch her? Did I accidentally? And you would have thought that because, again, in Old Testament law, if someone who is clean touches someone who is unclean, you become unclean too. And no one wants that. They would have all stepped back. Now the crowd would then have expected Jesus to be unclean too because she says, I touched the guy. That would make Jesus unclean, wouldn't it? Except, except... He says, I was instantly healed. I went from unclean to clean in a second. Just by touching Jesus. And so, verse 48. Daughter, Jesus said to her, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Jesus made her well, yes, he touched his cloak, but he says to her, your faith has made you well. But let me ask, was it just her faith that made her well? Well, I don't think so. See, remember the crowd crushing in on her and on Jesus? She would have come into contact with lots of people but only contact with one of them made her well. 
It was when she touched Jesus. That was who she was going to see. That is, it was her faith in Jesus that made her well. See, faith is useless if you have faith in the wrong person or the wrong thing. Remember, she trusted in all the doctors to make her well. She gave them all her money. She had faith in them to make her well, but they didn't. They couldn't. But Jesus did. That's what made her faith effective. Who she had faith in. But I also want to point out here that I don't think it was just about her being healed from bleeding here. See, there are many stories about Jesus' healing uh, in the Bible. Many stories about people who, who had faith. And I'm pretty sure there are many others that we don't have in the Bible as well. And we can be tempted to think, oh, this is just another one of those stories. My question is this, what makes... What, t- what does this tell us that is new? Does this tell us something different? The answer is in verse 48. Look at that with me, verse 48. Uh, Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Now, I know I read that just before. And it appears here that Jesus is talking about physical healing. But, you know, when Jesus says to her, your faith has made you well, the word that's translated as made you well in the original language of the New Testament, which is ancient Greek, in the original language, the word that is used for made you well is saved. Saved. So you could read this. As Jesus saying, your faith has saved you. That is, he's doing more than just healing her physical ailment. He's saving her. Now, the question I asked before was, why did Jesus uh, stop? Why did he make her own up and tell her story in front of all the crowd that was there? Well, Jesus did it because he was teaching people how they can be clean before God, how they can be saved, how they can be saved from the impacts of sin of which disease and illness is one, and how they can be cleansed, how they can be saved, how they can be made well, is by having faith in Jesus. So Jesus here is doing more than curing her of her physical ailment. In cleansing her, he's making her right before God. Clean before God. Saved in mere understanding at the time. But of course, it also meant her being restored to community. She's been cleansed. Saving her from isolation. From people and from God. This is a little kind of uh, story about who you have faith in to save you. And it's quite clearly Jesus. But is it just saving from sickness? I mean, how much more can Jesus 
actually do. What he did was pretty impressive, no doubt about it. But let me ask, what about life and death? Life or death? And would you put your life in Jesus' hands? Even more so, would you put your eternity in Jesus' hands? Well, let's see what happens next. Because right at that moment, as disease walks out the door, death walks in. Look with me at verse 49. While he was still speaking, someone came from the synagogue leader's house saying, Your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Man, those words hit like a sledgehammer, don't they? As a dad of three daughters, I can't imagine any worse words to hear. You'd be forgiven if you forgot that Jesus was actually on his way to try to heal Jairus's dying daughter. And resentment toward the crowd, even the woman, would be completely understandable at this point, wouldn't it, by Jairus? I mean, if they had not delayed Jesus, if she had not delayed Jesus, maybe his daughter wouldn't have died. Maybe she'd still be alive if he got to her in time. But even before Jairus had a moment to let the news sink in, Jesus says in verse 50, don't be afraid, Jairus. Don't be afraid. Only believe. She will be made well. He's making the same point as he made to the woman. Believe in me and she, your daughter, will be saved. Now I say saved here again because again, in the original language that the Bible was written, the word translated in verse 50 as made well is also the word saved. Exact same word as Jesus used with the woman. Just believe she'll be saved. He's saying to the dad, faith in me saved the woman who bled for 12 years. Faith in me will save the child that you have loved for 12 years. And I love, I love that before Jairus had time to be tortured by unspeakable grief, Jesus says, believe, believe in me, Jairus. Well, can Jesus do it? Can he do it? Here we have a challenge, don't we, Uh, by the person from the synagogue leader's house in verse 49, your daughter is dead. That's a challenge. Your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher. And he says, of course, death is final. Everyone knows it. No need to bother Jesus anymore. What can he do? Let's see what happens. Verse 51, after Jesus came to the house, he let, no one in, he let no one enter with him except Peter, John and James and the child's father and mother. Everyone was crying and mourning for her. 
But he said, stop crying, for she's not dead but asleep. They started laughing at him because they knew she was dead. In other words, she was truly dead. There are plenty of people around there to verify it. She is dead. What happens? Verse 54. So Jesus took her by the hand and called out, Child, get up. Her spirit returned and she got up at once. And then he gave orders that she be given something to eat. That is was dead, (laughs) now alive. And she was definitely alive because he gave orders, verse 55, that she be given something to eat. Why are we given that that detail? Well, because dead people don't eat hamburgers. (laughs) Was dead, now alive. And as instantly... As he healed the woman from 12 years of sickness, he saves this 12-year-old from death. And he does it with such ease. Did you notice that? No potions, no technology, no magic, no arm wrestle, no kooky rituals, not even a sweat. Just the power of his word. Child, get up. (laughs) Magnificent. And what we're seeing here, we're seeing the power of Jesus, yes. But we're not simply seeing the power of Jesus. But Jesus is demonstrating what he has come to do. Which is to save people. Save them from the impacts of of sin, like disease and illness. And ultimately, to save people from death. And that's the one thing we all wait for, is it not? doesn't matter how young or old. Every day is a day closer to your funeral. How do we escape death? Well, Jesus tells us here to have faith. Have faith in him. He cleanses from sin. He gives life. Today, people say, it doesn't matter what you believe in. What, you know, whatever you believe in is right for you, and whatever you believe in is right for me. Every belief is as good as another, as long as you're sincere. That is wrong, I'm afraid. It's wrong. It is very clear from the Bible that only Jesus can raise someone from the dead. and That is by believing in him and trusting in him. It's only Jesus that cleanses people from sin. Those baptised and confirmed tonight have put their trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. We've already heard tonight through the confirmation service that it is by the death of Jesus that sins are paid for, that cleanses us from those sins before God. And God's promise is that he will raise them to life after they have died, as Jesus was raised to life. Now, if you're here tonight, you haven't put your trust in Jesus in that same way, then I beg of you and plead with you tonight to talk to someone about that tonight. Don't wait. Don't wait.
in both of these stories that we've read about tonight. God is telling us, yes, to believe, but to believe in Jesus. He's the only one that can save you from death and give you life. But understand this. Understand this, please. The life he gives, not like the life he gave to that little girl who eventually died again. The life Jesus promises to those who trust in him is permanent. It is never-ending. It is eternal life. Where every second is like a minute. Every minute is like an hour. Every hour is an eternity. Let me pray. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that you sent Jesus into this world. That you sent Jesus into this world to deal with sin and to deal with death. And we thank you that through faith in Jesus, sins can be forgiven. And you can grant etern- and you do grant through Jesus eternal life. Please help us to believe in Him. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.